0: So how to live in the end times. And um, as we read this earlier, he starts off, "The end of all things is at hand." Uh, now he said that. He wrote that over 2,000 years ago. So uh, I want you to remember something. Here's you find first, Peter, chapter four. Um, I, 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 get, I let, you know I don't know about you, but I'm getting kind of tired of the way things are. Uh, and, and things like that. Anybody join me on that? You're just kind of like, this is getting old. Um, so what are we supposed to do you know how are you supposed to live? And these are the last days. Things are happening not just not just here, but all over the planet. Um, what are we supposed to do? Well, he's going to tell us what to do. He's going to tell us how to live and what our focus should be during these last times and how you know that, that we're living in. Now, remember, if you've been following us, we've been going verse by verse through First Peter, and it's, and the theme of this is hope, a living hope that we have. Hope alive is what we're calling this whole series. Um, and uh, if you remember, even last week. In the weeks before, he's, he's talking to people who were living in a context of, of discomfort, right? Okay? Persecution, trials, suffering. These are words that keep coming up. Uh, you remember, these are days of the Roman Empire. Nero is the emperor. Um, things are bad for Christians right now, they're being picked on. Um, there's a very much of a rising anti Semitic. Uh, thing going on with the Romans, and many of them see Christians as you know coming from Judaism, so they're already ready to pick on them. And then they have these beliefs they don't understand. They're talking about love in ways and using words for love that the Romans don't quite understand. And they're also not only that, but uh, they're talking. Uh, they, they they accuse them even of being cannibals because they talk about partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. And the Roman mind don't understand that, and the way that they were treating families, and the way they were honoring women, and doing things like that it made no sense to them and the fact that they wouldn't bow down to all their false gods and the fact that they wouldn't bow down and worship the emperor as king uh things are going to get tough and there's going to be persecution that that really is enhanced during Nero's reign after Rome has this huge fire that historians tell us he began and they began to blame on christians So there's an intense time of suffering that is coming on. And so when he says this, it's not supposed to be like, boy, the end of all things at hand, like, ooh, you know, like, oh, no. No, it's supposed to be an encouragement, right? I mean, it's like, okay, we're living in a crazy, whacked out world. Things are unfair, and there's a lot of unjust suffering going on. But the good news is, is it's it's not going to last long. The end of all things, about over, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, it's supposed to perk us up. Kind of like whenever, you know, I'm up here, you know, preaching, been going a little while. I say, okay, now, and and now to end this, and I just see, I just see hope, you know? I just see encouragement going everywhere. That's what this is supposed to do to us (laughs) in our our hearts. So, uh, now, uh, he's reminding them that end of all things are at hand. And so, the early church in the days of the apostles, you know, they actually believed that Christ could come back during their lifetime. You know, it kind of seems like the Lord left it that way with them that that all of these guys that were with Jesus really kind of felt like he might come back before they died. And that didn't happen. And one by one, they were martyred, they were put to death. Peter, right here, okay, the guy that he's using to write this, you got to keep in mind that not too long after this, History tells us, it's not recorded in the Bible, that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up like his Savior was. It's, it's also uh, one of those things that Jesus had kind of told him about that when you're old and it's in the end of the Gospel of John, they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. And John tells us that he understood that he was talking about his death. So here's a guy that knows it's coming. He knows there's going to come a time uh, because of what Jesus said that he's going he's gonna to be martyred for his faith. But listen at the hope that he has and the excitement. And he reminds them the end of all things is at hand. And they believe that Christ could come back at any time. So there's always been a sense of urgency attached to this news. But I just want to say this. If according to him it was at hand during his time, then it must be in the hand in our time. It's not just at hand. <laughs> we know we're living in the last days. A lot's happened in the last 2,000 years, hasn't it? And, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but well, you know, like I'm sure Daryl here, you've noticed in the last hundred years that almost that you've been around things have, have changed in a hurry, right? Everything has changed so fast. What about in the last 20 years? What about in the last 10 years? Things have changed fast, huh? Very rapidly. What about this year, 2020? Oh yeah, not just here, but like we said, it's worldwide. Things are happening on a worldwide scale. I've never seen anything like this before. So is the world coming to an end? Yep. Yes. Yes, it is. How soon? Well, probably sooner than any of us can imagine. Probably it will happen sooner than you think. Uh, But God says it's really not for you to know. But we do know and can know that we are in the last days. The Bible teaches, actually, that we're not going to destroy this planet. You know what the Bible teaches? In fact, if you go over to 2 Peter, he talks about it. God Himself's going to judge and destroy. He's going to both judge and destroy this whole world. In fact, the universe, the heavens, uh, will pass away, as well as the elements of the earth melting with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it are going to be burned up. I mean, it talks about that. Meanwhile, in our time, world events are taking on a different flavor these days. Hmm? I mean, world events, not just around here. A lot of things happening right now, a year ago, right after Thanksgiving. We would have never imagined, I don't think any of us, that things would be like they are right now, would we? No. None of us are that smart. We would have never guessed it. So, unless you have your head stuck in the sand... Or somewhere else, perhaps. Anyway, you got to understand that this passage applies to us like it never has applied to any other generation who has ever lived, okay? The end of all things is at hand. It applies to us like nobody else. It applies more to us than anyone else. So how are we supposed to react? What are we supposed to do? The end of all things are at hand. Things are going crazy, there might be more suffering, might be more persecution, might be more trials. What are we supposed to do? Are we to go hole up somewhere and stock up on toilet paper? No, stop it already. Are we to gather up and, and and hole up somewhere and get ready to fight? No, that's not what he says. In fact, he tells us exactly what we're supposed to do in light of the last days, in light of difficult times. He tells us exactly what to do, and he uh, lays it out right here. Are you ready? Let's jump through it, okay? So he says in verse 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. already read that part. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be be Be, self-controlled. Be watchful for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. You need to be this way, but the whole key there is prayer. So what he's saying is this. What are you to do living in the end times? What's the first thing that you're to do is pray. This is the first thing that he talks about. Um, We're to be uh, clear-minded. We're to be watchful in prayer. So these two words that are used here in this verse... Depending on what translation you're using, because these words were written by Peter in the Greek. And there are a lot of different English words that you could use to try to explain what he's talking about there. And some of them use different words. Um, This word here rendered serious or sober, or as it is here in the English Standard Version, self-controlled. That word literally means to save the mind. That's what the Greek word means. It means to save the mind. So he's saying, don't let your mind get so influenced. Listen, don't let your mind get so corrupted. Don't let your mind get so, hey, distracted by everything else going on in the world that you're not paying attention to the first thing you need to be doing, and that's your personal, daily relationship with God and prayer. Okay? Because if you're not clear-minded, And if you're not watchful and sober, how are you going to pray? You're not. You're not going to pray very well. So this is the first thing. You don't need to be, because there's a lot of distractions. Don't be distracted. Don't let your mind get influenced, corrupted. And the other word that he uses here is a metaphor that he's using for watchfulness. And it has to do with being sober, because people who are drunk or strung out, you know, they're, they're not very watchful, are they? You know, in fact, they tend to just fall asleep, okay? Right? So he says, don't be like that. And don't be like that spiritually either, okay? So he says, to be uh, clear-minded, to be sober-minded, To be watchful for the sake of your prayers. And the other thing is, is focus on this. Don't get all caught up in all of the, you know, all of the crazy prophecy hubbub going on all around. I mean, you know, wow. Wow. I mean, there's people saying all kinds of stuff. And you know, all the stuff going on with the with the, with the pandemic and everything. And, you know, we got this one preacher that whew, he's done bloated away, but it's evidently come back because it's still around, right? A guy down in Texas. I mean, come on, and the world's looking at it's like, what? And then, you know, and then you got guys making all these prophecies about what's going to happen with the election and what's going to happen with all this other controversy and all that. And, you know, if that doesn't happen, we just tell these guys, you know what? Why don't you do what he says do and just teach the word? because, you know, you're claiming to have these visions and you're claiming to get messages from God that nobody else has. So does that mean you're just like closer to God than everybody else? You're like more spiritual than the rest of us because God just talks to you and he don't talk to us and then you got to tell us what's going to happen and then it don't happen, but yet we still need to send a donation in, you know? And then we got to do one guy out in the Carolinas that's kind of like, you send in a donation, he's going to send you a prayer cloth that's got an anointing on it. So evidently, he doesn't put the Holy Ghost in it, and if you send money in, they'll send it to you, and then the Holy Ghost will get all over you. I don't know. what is this? That's what I'm guessing. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. Or it could be a way to get your money. Don't get caught up in all this stuff. Stick to the Word of God, okay? And so he's telling us what to do. I want you to understand that the whole point of prophecy People who got a word of prophecy going to tell us what's going to happen. They're going to straighten us out. Listen, Scripture is meant not just to inform us. It is meant to be not just informative. It's meant to be practical. It's not just so I know. I know what. See, that's, that's a trick. Because if somebody, they know more than you know, that, that may think they're more powerful than you are. They, they, they might be able to control you. It's not about that. I want to know more about what God's doing so I can do what he wants me to do. So I can be obedient. It's all about how we behave during the last times. Are you getting that? That's what he's interested in. How we behave. And he's saying that how you behave is going to be something that I'm going to use to be a light in this dark world. And there's going to be a harvest of people that are going to come to Jesus through the way they see you live. Because they're frankly not listening to a lot of your arguments and a lot of your posts and a lot of your comments. They're really not. But when they see your life, that's kind of hard to argue with. And it starts with prayer. It starts with your own. You've got to start with your relationship with God. All the prophetic stuff is there to tell you how to live in light of what's going on. That's the first thing. Be serious, be clear-minded and alert so you can pray. Your personal daily relationship with God is what's going on here. Your focus, your focus isn't just on what's happening around you. Your focus is on the Lord and His kingdom. Is our focus on the Lord and His kingdom, or on ourselves, or on the craziness? Okay, so that's it. Pray. Are we starting there? We got it? Okay, well then we can go to the next verse. Because in the next verse, he says in verse 8, and he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Did you get that? So we pray. So here's what you do. In light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, you want to be clear-minded and watchful so you can pray. And the second thing you want to do is love. Okay, now this isn't what I thought it was going to be, right? Because if I were to advertise and say, you know what? We've got the secret to the end times. Going to be talking about it this Sunday. I'm going to tell you what it is. The secret of the end times. We might even tell you who the Antichrist is. Who knows? You know, whatever. Man, people would show up because I want to know about that. I don't want to know about that. But Peter says, you know what? We ain't going to know that. What I want you to know is how you're supposed to live. And The first thing you need to do is pray. second thing you need to do is love. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, boy. Yeah. Hey, didn't say this is going to be easy. But this is what counts. He says, "Above all, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins." So that's the second thing is to love. It starts with our attitude and spiritual mindset of love. As far as what we're to do, love. That's why he says above all. Did you get that? Did you did you did that slip past you? Did you see he says above all? Like this is like God says, like, go ahead, ask me what you should be doing in these crazy days which you live. He says, one of the biggest things you're going to do is love God and love people. I know it's easy to say that. A lot harder to do that. Love God and love others. And the degree of it, did you catch that? Earnestly, fervently. Now, let me tell you what that word means, because part of what we're supposed to do is we're just supposed to open up and let the scriptures be unpacked and, and and speak to us. We're to let it come out, okay? We're not gonna take our preconceived thoughts and cram them in there. We're gonna let the scripture come out and teach us what God has inspired and recorded for us. As he says this, he says fervent or earnestly. Comes from a Greek word that literally means to stretch out of something. So I believe every word of the Bible is inspired. If I want to really know what that word means, i got to look at it and see it in its original form. And what it means, that's something God's called me to do. That's part of my job to help us all to grow and apply the word of God. Okay. And so that word means to stretch out of something. Now, um, it's a love that stretches out. It's, listen to me. It's a love that, are you watching this? It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. When you love fervently, it stretches completely outside of yourself. That means it must come from God. If I'm going to love people like this, because you know what, some people are really hard to love. If I'm going to be able to do this, it's got to be something beyond me. It's got to come from God. The good news is that, in fact, that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Do you know that? When he said, the fruit of the Spirit, first one, he mentions love. That is, this is a fruit that God will produce in our lives as we are submitted to him and as we're filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and not in our own selfishness or in the flesh. This is something that God's going to do. So, uh, it's, it, but it does, hey, there's been a lot of times say, Lord, it's just hard to love, right? Just admit it because God knows somebody's done something, they've hurt you, whatever, it's hard to love. And just say, Lord, I'm having trouble with this love. But I know that you, you're going to have to share some of your love with me because I know that you love them just as much as you love me. Right? Okay. But this doesn't mean there's no effort on your part. When he says fervently, that word was also used to describe an athlete. Right? That's stretching for the finish line. You ever run in track, especially in the sprints, and you're getting down there and you try to strain and you try to stretch I did that one time, uh, and it was the 200 meter, all right? Jasmine, ever happened to you? And, and you're stretching out, and I stretched so far. I'm not getting the tape. I'm not getting the tape. I'm still not there. And I stretched a little further, and I still didn't get the tape. The guy beat me, but then I turned. I just did tumbled end over end, you know, all the way past it because I stretched so far. I lost my balance, you know, just trying to strain and trying to stretch, trying to get the tape. Okay, that's kind of the thing that is also used with this word here, that you're going to stretch it. It's a little bit of effort on your part, right? I remember we had a, our coach used to tell us to say that, you know, you're coming down, especially like, okay, I'm thinking of races here, you know, because that kind of, you know, those kind of games went on during their day. This kind of word was used. But our coach used to tell us, like, you're running a 400 meter, uh, Used to be called 440 because we used yards to the meters back then. Anyway, beside the point. Uh, but, you know, you're coming around, you, you just go all out, right? That's why he said, you got to go all out. And um, as you're coming around that last turn and you got that last 100, 110 yards or whatever it is, said, you just got to, as, you know, this, this may not be, you know, this may be crude to say it this way, right? But I am a bit crude, so that's okay. It's like you got to gut it out, right? you got to gut it out, okay? He used to say you got to gut it out. That is, that when you're coming in there and you're tired and your legs are burning and you want to quit, you got to reach way back. That's what he used to say. you got to reach back. I want you guys to reach back. I want you to reach way down inside of you and get a hold of a little something extra. You don't think you got it. You got to reach back further and get a hold of something extra. And gut it out. Okay, now it's kind of strange that I'm comparing this to love, okay? No, it wasn't me. Peter did. He used the word for fervently. means to stretch out. And, um, but so it does require some effort. Are y'all getting this? Huh? I mean, it does. It's a love that comes from him, but it's going to require effort on your part. And so that's the next thing that we're to do. He says that love will cover a multitude of sins in that verse. Now, that's kind of a proverb, is it not? In fact, maybe your Bible reference tells you that comes from Proverbs. He's quoting Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Proverbs 10, 12 says love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know this is so true? This is, listen, this is the only thing that will cover sin is love. Otherwise, we keep holding it against people. And it's true of God because he set the standard in it. When God so loved the world that he sent his son to pay for our sins on the cross because of his love. Because of his love. It's the only thing that will cover sins in our life. And we're all going to have them. So I'm going to need some love for you to cover from you to cover me. And you're going to need some from me to cover you. It also involves doing nice things. This love. Did you see that next verse? Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? That means do nice things for other people. Even things that inconvenience us. Not just when it's handy. When you're really helping someone. Usually it's going to be a bit of a hassle. Otherwise, why would we want to complain? Did you know it's possible to do very good and very nice things for people but complain the whole time? I've been told personally, when you do that thing, whether it's clean the kitchen, empty the dishwasher, whatever, and you're mumbling and you're grumbling about it at the same time, it cancels out the good deed. No points. Yeah. Some of you are getting looks right now. I'm not the only one. We do it without grumbling. We do it, it. You may want to. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's the thing, you know. You may want to, but you don't have to, right? You don't have to. That word grumble is a strange word in the original language. Uh, That word grumble. It's the Greek word. It's, uh it's, I got to look at it. Gonggogzo. <laughs> Gonggogzo. That's the word right there. You wondered. I, you didn't know I could pronounce it so well. No, it's like gongzo. It's, uh onomatopoetic or something like that. What is that word? Where a word actually sounds like what it's describing. Huh, yeah? Yeah, On a, onomatopoeia. I'd rather just say gong gong gong, 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 But that's, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this word sounds like what it is. It sounds like somebody grumbling, muttering. Blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, that's what it's like. You do something nice, but at the same time, you're blah, 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 blah. He says, you know, don't do it that way. Because evidently it cancels it out because the person hears it and it's kind of like blessing gone, right? Love each other. Pray and love each other during these difficult days. You want to know end time living? You want to know what prophecy says that we're to do during these last days? Pray and love each other and love God. And do nice things for each other. That means usually they don't deserve it, but don't gripe about it. Try not to gripe about it. What does that say? I got to look at that again. It says without grumbling. Okay. Show hospita- So if you do grumble, you haven't shown hospitality. You can do it, but if you grumble, it's not hospitality. Am I stuck right here? Okay. You ready to move on? You got it? Okay. Love. But then he says in verse 10, 1 Peter 4, 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, managers of God's varied grace, God's grace that runs in many directions. So you're loving each other, and then as, as you've received a gift, this is about spiritual gifts, this talks about a calling and a gift and an ability that God gives you in a way of serving Him. Now, we're only interested in gifts that make us feel special. All right? Now that's not the kind of gifts he's interested, these gifts that he gives you. Those are listen to me, abilities and desires to help and serve in the body of Christ and to the world around you. So we're to pray, we're to love, and we're to serve. Isn't that excite you? What are we to do with end time living? How to live in the end days? Pray, love, and serve. It's all right here. I didn't make it up myself. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. So as you have received um, a gift, that's that, hey, how about this? It's not just an ability, but if God gives you the ability, it's also a responsibility to do it. If you've received it, he says, use it. You receive it, use it, serve it, serve others. Make an impact on those around you in the body of Christ and on the lost world around you. Are we making very good impact? We're not doing this like we should be doing it. It's been dealt out to you by God, and He's the owner of all things. So it says that we are to be... Uh, to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. It's God's grace that's doing it. It's God's grace that's been given to us, and you're a steward. That means a manager. He's the owner of God's multifaceted grace, meaning out of it comes all different types of gifts and favor and blessings for all kinds of ministry, and we're not all called and gifted to do the same things. And you do this through the ability that God supplies. Are you still looking at your Bible? I'm not putting all the verses up there. Have you got them? Verse 11, he says this. Whoever speaks, he says, as one who speaks the oracles of God. This is word of God. I'm not just up here. I'm not free to do my own thing. It's really, it's got to be the word of God. And if you're serving, you serve as someone who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you're doing it in order to, uh, by his strength and in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Is God being glorified through what you're doing? Or are you being glorified? or somebody else being glorified? But he says in all this, that God, this is the purpose of us serving. You're going to be helped. Others are going to be blessed. But God is going to be glorified. Sometimes, even some of the things that we do thinking we're serving isn't glorifying God. It's just for us. Selfish or self-seeking, maybe. I, don't, I have to be careful with that. And then he says to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The name above all names. That he be glorified. As you serve. So okay. Are you ready to start wrapping this up? Mm-hmm. End of all things is ahead. So pray. And be watchful. So your prayers aren't messed up. Distracted. And then above all. Love. Um, you're going to have to pray. If you're going to love. Love others. Love God. And then serve others. And in doing that. It's God giving the ability. You're serving God as you serve others there's one more he kind of grabs another gear here right you know he's going he's winding on pretty good and i mean he just stomps that clutch and throws it on up there and let's go because there is part of this it's just not easy right okay maybe it is for you but i gotta say i know this and knowing it is different than doing it and i struggle and, 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 and I got to tell you, most of my struggle isn't from Nero. <laughs> it's not from you, even. I mean, as messed up and crazy as some of you guys are. My, my struggle isn't with the world. My biggest struggle is with me. Right? It's with my flesh. Uh, I struggle. So, I know this. And... I'm going to have to trust him and do it in his strength. I can't do it in my own. But I've got to realize that it's not going to be easy. I know there's plenty of preachers out there saying, you just trust God, everything's easy. And if it's not easy, you just don't have enough faith. That's not what Peter is preaching and teaching. It's not what the Bible says. In fact, can I show you what he says next? Ready? He says in verse 12, beloved. Oh, he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. We're loved. Did you know you're loved? He just told you you're loved. Sometimes it's good to hear that. Amen. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When, not if. Catch that? When the fiery trial comes. Not if, but when. It comes to test you. It comes upon you to test you. As though some strange Something strange were happening to you. Now you need to know these words. You know I got this working today. See that I can point. Remember last week when I wanted to use it for the first time in a while? This new pointer it wouldn't work because I had a low battery. Um, this word "surprised" and this word "strange" in the original Greek are the same word in different forms. One's like a verb, and one's a noun form. And uh, and so basically, what he's saying is, is it's something? Is is a word used to describe? when some unexpected stranger drops in on you. So don't be, think it's strange or don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you as something surprising or strange were happening to you. Uh, now, he's reminded us our time in this sin-cursed world is temporary. End of all things is at hand. We want to focus on praying, loving, serving to the glory of God. But if we're going to do that, there's this one more thing. This one more thing we've got to have, and that is we've got to endure. Pray, love, serve, endure. There is discipline and there is dedication that's got to come from your will. God is going to supply you everything you need, but you, he's not going to make you a robot or a puppet. You have to be willing. And sometimes all I can say, Lord, is just help me to be more willing. And Lord, I am willing. I just want to grow in my willingness to serve you. And you shouldn't be surprised when these trials come. Don't be surprised like some stranger dropping in on you. You need to be ready for them. And like I said, some of those same preachers that's always wanting uh, you, know, you to send, send them money, you know, they promise and they make prophecies that you just have enough faith, you won't have unjust trials, you won't have troubles, you won't have pain, you won't have poverty. Peter says that's not the way it is. In fact, he says when those things come, you don't need to be surprised. It means you should expect it, right? If you're not supposed to be surprised, you need to expect it. He doesn't say live with a cloud over your head all the time. It's just be prepared because know this, it's a fiery trial. You know, fiery, can I say something about that? Fiery is a term that was used for melting down metal and heating it up to purify it. That's what God's doing with that trial that he let come upon you. It crossed his desk before it came to you, and it is to purify you. The trial that the enemy sent to knock you down will be turned around and used by God to build you up and purify you and bring glory to him. That's what he's saying. Don't be surprised. But then he says in verse 13, would you look at it, but rejoice. Don't just like, oh boy, I'll just have to endure. No, he said to rejoice. Really? Really? Because that's not the way the world teaches things, that trials come, you rejoice. Trials come, you grieve, right? You get upset. He says rejoice. Now, that word translated rejoice is interesting because it literally means to have a calm happiness. (laughs) That's not always me. I get in panic mode sometimes. Lord, help me, help me get here. I remember what I've learned. I apply it to my life. I say, Lord, I'm willing to submit. And then he'll bring that calm happiness on me. He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And, and I, can, I can have this perspective because I know my suffering My trial is in the backdrop of his glory that's going to be revealed. It's out there. I believe in that. So that helps me realize this is temporary. And that is going to be so much better that this will seem like nothing. Now, Peter is a guy who could say that, rejoice during suffering. Do you remember way back there in the early days? And it's recorded in the book of Acts when he and the other guys were out preaching Christ. And they were warned by the same counsel that masterminded the crucifixion of Jesus. That, that they were warned to hush up. They were thrown in prison. And then one time they threw them in prison. And then they took them out and they beat them. They took whips and whatever. And they just, they beat the tar out of them. Okay, they did. Not fun, right? Not fair. But listen to this. When they came out, there's this, there's this verse in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Peter was part of this. It says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. There's our word. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I mean, they were, you know, I'm not sure if they were high-fiving or not. But it was, they were rejoicing because the Lord considered them worthy to suffer for him. Because they had stood there and watched him suffer and die for them on the cross. Remember? That's, that's the thing. So he says, what you need to do is you need to think ahead. Are you thinking ahead any and ever? Am I? Are you thinking ahead? Are you looking ahead? Or are we just thinking about right here, right now? You got to think ahead. You got to look ahead. The suffering has already been revealed, right? We're getting some of that, right? But guess what? The glory that is going to be revealed will overshadow it more than you can imagine. He says that when that time comes, we will not only rejoice, but it says rejoice and be glad here. Other translations say rejoice with exceedingly exceeding joy, I think. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different word that's used right there. That word that's in the ESV translated be glad is actually a compound word. That means two Greek words put together into one. And the first word means much And the second word means literally to jump or to spring up. So basically what he's saying, you're going to rejoice and you're going to be jumping for joy. Like a kid at Christmas. I mean, you're just going to be... (laughs) That's when trials come. And you realize that his glory is going to be revealed. And you're going to rejoice that day. I'm telling you, when that day comes... I might be able to have a cheerful happiness during the trial. But when that day comes, he says, you're going to be much joy, much joy. And the word jumping is in there. I mean, some of y'all, some of us do a good job containing it. But on that day, oh, man, I hope I'm there to, uh, right next next to you to see. I hope I'm there. y'all. I'm going to be there. But I'm just telling you that I hope I'm close to you so I can see some of you just go nuts and jump for joy like a little kid, uh, you know, because of his glory being revealed. It's going to be a day. He says, you need to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And that's what that verse is, is talking about. Oh, wow. He says, then if you are insulted, verse 14, for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Really? I don't feel blessed. No. He says, take my word for it. You are blessed. That means, you know the word blessed there, what it means? Happy. Be happy. They're insulting you. Now, generally, my first response when someone's insulting me is not to be happy. But it's, you're being insulted because of what? The name of Christ. So they're trying to insult Christ. But they can't get to him, so they get to you. But it's because of Christ, not because you're a smart aleck. Right? I think a lot of Christians think they're being persecuted, but they're just being smart alecks. And that's what's being insulted. And probably rightfully so. It's because of the name of Christ. Because you're being like Jesus. You're loving. You're serving. You're giving. That's why they're insulting you. And he says you're blessed. You're going to be happy because why? Because even though that's happened on the outside, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest on you. You've got the presence of God in you. Because the name of Christ is being attached to you. Ah, oh, He says you're blessed. But he gives a disclaimer here, verse 15. Do you see that? But let none of you suffer as And he talks about some bad things. Now, this is kind of strange when I first read it. Uh, it, He says, "Don't, don't let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. That means just people who do wrong stuff. Or a meddler. Somebody who tries to meddle in other people's lives and business and gossip about them probably. I mean, that's quite a gamut. Murderer. Meddler. I mean, it's quite the range, is it not? He starts out, don't. Any of you be like going around killing people and suffering because you're doing that? Well, I think what he's doing is he's, he's giving us the whole, the whole gamut, the whole spectrum. Don't be suffering because you're sinning and living in a wrong way. Whether it's way up here or whether it's just meddling in other people's stuff and causing problems and stirring up strife. None of that. You may be a gossip and you may stir up strife and cause all kinds of problems. At least I ain't not killed Nobody. No, he says, not even the other stuff. Okay? Now, a lot of us, let's be honest. We suffer because we're doing dumb stuff. We're doing wrong stuff. We're doing sinful stuff. If that's happening, you're going to suffer. It's called consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my dad letting me, uh, you know, whether it's light of match or firecracker or something, you know, watch out, don't do that. And then you do it, and he kind of lets you do it, and you, you know, almost blow the end of your finger off. I says, yeah, yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Yeah, you're like, here, how about do another one? Do another one. No, 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 You know, it's like, come on, you got enough now? Now you going to believe me? You know, the consequence is what it took to get my brain to actually register, right? okay. He says, don't suffer, and and make sure it's not because, because I think there was a lot of people then who were suffering, but it was because of dumb and sinful stuff they were doing, not because of the name of Christ. All right, let me put another verse up there. Verse 16, he says, yet, so don't suffer because of that, yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, one of three places in the Bible where the word Christian is actually used. And um, one is when it said the disciples were first called Christians. That means they were being like Jesus in in Acts. And then later on in Acts when uh, the king said, almost, or you think in such a short time, you're going to persuade me to be a Christian. And right here he says, if you suffer as a Christian, you suffer because of this. Are you watching this? Because you identify with Christ. It's because you are in Christ and Christ is in you, it is your faith, your belief in Him, and your. So it is your faith in Him and it is your believer in Him. You're a believer in Him. It's not just you're saying stuff about Jesus. It's your behavior in Him. Your belief in Him and your behavior in Him. You're acting like Jesus. That's what Christian and being Christ-like is about. And if you're suffering because of that, don't be ashamed. Don't let somebody shame you. Don't you go around feeling ashamed. But glorify God in that name, name of Jesus, like they did. And then he says in verse 17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel? I mean, if it's tough enough for us and God is purifying us and preparing us, what's going to happen to those who aren't standing in God's grace and God's love? Where are they going to appear? There'll be no place. And then he quotes kind of a proverb. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what's well, going to become of the ungodly and the sinner? Think about it. What's it going to be like for them? Then he sums it up. Are you ready? This is it. Verse 19. That's the last verse in that chapter. I got to stop. Have you had enough? I have. I mean, this is enough to work on all week. Amen. Pray. Love. Serve. And endure. He sums it up. Listen to the way he sums it up. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. There is suffering that is God's will. And it's when you suffer for doing good and being good. Or you suffer because you're just in this world, not because you're doing bad stuff. Okay? Got it? That those who suffer... I thought if you do good, good things are supposed to happen. Generally... But sometimes you do everything right and you're still going to suffer because you're in a sin-cursed world and you live in sin-cursed flesh. Those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So what I'm going to do, I don't understand it. I don't like it as I'm struggling and I'm suffering. Watch it. But I'm going to just trust Him. I'm going to make the decision That though I don't understand it and though I don't like it, and though the enemy's trying to say God doesn't care about you, I'm still gonna trust him. He's the creator, he's in control, he made everything. Creator, while doing good. So I don't stop doing good. I don't stop doing good. I don't stop loving. I don't stop serving. I just keep trusting. Do you see that in that verse? That's what he's saying. Speaks to me. Oh, man. All right, I'm sorry. You need a review. Think about these things as I fly through them on the slides because I got one more thing to apply this. You ready? You ready? Here we go. There it is. That right now in these last days, God wants to do his greatest work. He's not done. These last days, the end of all things is at hand. God wants to do His greatest work. I believe it. And He does it through us. He's not going to send the angels to do it. The saints that have already gone on to be with Him, hey, they're enjoying perfection in heaven. He's not sending them back to do it. It's you and me who are alive at this moment. It is through us who have trusted Christ as we pray, as we love, as we serve, as we endure for His glory, God is going to use that to impact this world like nothing else. And He's waiting for a few more people to see it and come to Him before He ends it. God, help us. Amen. Let's pray. Father.